0: Welcome to episode 299 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I wanna talk about what does it mean to bear God's name well. Let's dive in. Over the last several months, In our Daily Thunder series, I've been walking through a series looking at the names of God. And today I gave the very last episode or study in that Names of God series. Truth be told, I probably could have gone on for months on end because there are so many rich and precious names of God given throughout the Bible. Well, as I've just been reflecting and pondering this idea of God's names and what does it mean to bear God's name? What does it mean to hallow his name? as it is mentioned in Matthew, or even more so, what does it mean to take his name in vain? I thought it'd be kind of fun to just play a clip from today's last study, looking at this idea of living in light of God's names. What does it mean for us as believers to bear his name? And I just want to play a piece of this. Now, again, if you want to listen to the entire series walking through the different names of God, I highly encourage you to do so. And I'll put a link in the show notes. But I just thought it'd be just a great edification for us as we just meditate on this idea of not just God's names, but what does it mean to bear his name? So without further ado, let's dive in to this message, looking at bearing God's names. And we are the ones who have the privilege of bearing his name, that we are the ones who are called Christians, that we in this world bear the name of our God to this world. That that when the world sees your life, they are not just to see you, they are to see him. Why? Because we are the bearers of the name. Do you recognize that we get to live by the very life of Christ? Because when we bear his name, we're not just saying a name, a title, a moniker. What we're saying is that we get to bear his life, his nature, his attributes. We get to share in him and I read these all the time, but just for the sake of kicks and giggles and for the remembrance of all this, look at 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Seeing that his divine power has given or granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that you, by, or sorry, sorry, that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Peter says, everything you need for life and godliness is found in one place. And do you know what the word for everything means in Greek? It does mean everything. And everything that I need for life and godliness is found in one place. Jesus and then in verse 4, he says, Do you realize that, that you get to share? You get to partake of his divine nature. That, that he's actually going to share his life with you. I love what John says in 1 John 4 9. He says, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. How do we live? through him or as Paul says in Colossians when Christ who is our life appears do you realize that he is our life Th- this is why Paul in Galatians 2:20 can say i have been crucified with christ and it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself up for me why because he's living by the very life of the name of, of the man, the man Jesus, whom he, who he bears, we get to bear the name of our God. this is an incredible thought, and we get to share in his life. Do you realize that even in the Old Testament, the people of God were to bear the name of God. There's this great passage in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where Moses is talking. And God says this, so all the peoples of the earth will see that you, O Israel, are called by the name of Yahweh. That there's this beautiful reality, and it goes back to the promise that God made Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, Abraham, I've chosen you. Okay, thank thank you, God. Why why did you choose me? Oh, I chose you, and I'm going to bless you so that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And do you realize what was happening is that God chose this man by the name of Abraham and God was going to do something in and through Abraham to such a degree that when all the world looked at Abraham and what God was doing through the life of Abraham, the whole world would say, I need that God, that that is the true God. And I want in on that. And of course, you see hints of this, like with Rahab and with Ruth, who are these Gentiles who get in on on the family of God as being the people of God. Why? Why? Because they saw what God was doing through his people. And I love this idea in Deuteronomy where Moses is saying, Oh, Israel, do you not recognize that you're going to bear his name? That you're going to carry the name of Yahweh. In fact, this becomes really heightened when you look at the high priest. So you have the high priest of Israel, who's the mediator, he's the intercessor that literally stands and goes before the Lord. And as you're, as you're working through the Exodus passage about the tabernacle stuff, there's this whole long section about what the high priest has to wear. And you're like, just make sure he wears clothes. <laughs> like, what's the big deal? And yet his clothes are very specific for how he is to minister. And so as you're looking at the clothing thing then, Uh, let me just kind of show you, I want to give you one aspect of the clothing and it's his turban. It's, it's what's on his head. And and look at this Exodus 28, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of a signet. And here's what it's engraved on or what's engraved on it. Holy to Yahweh. You shall fasten it with a blue cord and it shall be on the turban. It shall be at the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. So um, get this scene. This is so beautiful to me. Here's the high priest who has this turban, and on his forehead, at the very front of his head, there is this declaration, holy unto Yahweh. And what's really interesting as you get into this idea, I want to read you this quote. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I came across this great book. Uh, Her name is Carmen Joy Imes, and she wrote a book called Bearing God's Name. It's this great little book. And uh, she, she describes this, and I just want to give you what she says about this idea of bearing God's name on the forehead of the high priest. <clears throat> she says this, Aaron also wears a name on his forehead, the name Yahweh. Tied to his turban is a gold medallion engraved with the words, holy, belonging to Yahweh. It's just two words in Hebrew, Kadesh Yahweh. Kadesh meaning holy, by the way. The L in front of the name Yahweh is the customary way of indicating ownership. If you want to make sure everyone knows that this is your book, you would write your name inside the front cover with an L in front of it. And that would be the normal Hebrew way to say it's yours. With La Yahweh on his forehead. It's clear that the high priest, listen to this is set apart for service to Yahweh. He belongs exclusively to Yahweh. He serves no other. So get this idea. Here's, Aaron, the high priest, and on his forehead, he literally has the name of his God, that he's bearing the name of his God. And it is a declaration that he belongs, that he is owned. He's exclusive in his devotion to his God. Now, as you fast forward to the book of Isaiah, you hear the same concept, but with all the people. And what you have in Isaiah 44 verse 5 This one will say, I am Yahweh's, and this one will write on his hand, belonging to Yahweh. So I want you to hear something, and you'll, you'll, my guess is you'll pick up the thread of where I'm heading. Do you realize that there is this Old Testament concept that either upon the hand or upon the forehead, there is a name that is written? There is a mark that distinguishes the ownership of your life given unto Yahweh, so I don't think it's by accident then, as you come into the book of Revelation, do you realize that ownership is marked on the forehead or the right hand? Uh, for example, in, in Revelation 7, 3, you have the saints of God and it says, uh, the, uh, I think it's the angel who's speaking, but do, or, or God is speaking, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the slaves of our God on their foreheads. And so what you see is that even before the mark of the beast, that there is a mark that distinguishes the saints. Does that make sense? And where is it? Their foreheads. Why? Because you're going to bear a name. You are going to bear ownership. You belong to God. So then as you fast forward a little bit further, as you get into Revelation 14 then... What you see is another angel, a third one, follow them, saying with a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand," and it goes off from there. Do you realize that the whole mark of the beast and the mark of a believer—it's all about ownership. Who do you belong to? Who are you going to listen to? Where is your exclusive devotion given? And as you go into the Old Testament, what you find is that God wants a mark on His people. Well, what's the mark? his name and they are to literally bear his name and if you don't bear the name of our God do you recognize the only other option is you're going to bear the mark of the culture you're going to bear the mark of Babylon which is the mark of the beast are you getting this we are called to bear his name and we're called to bear it well Uh, just to give you one other quick idea with this is this idea of the place of the name as you go into the Old Testament, what you begin to realize is that the temple or the tabernacle was the location or the place where his name dwelt. Uh, for example, in 1 Kings, Solomon is dedicating the temple and he says, but will God truly dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built, you have regard... Yeah, sorry. yet have regard to the prayer of your slave and to his supplication. Oh, Yahweh, my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your slave prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, my name shall be there. To listen to the prayer which your slave shall pray toward this place. Solomon says, God, what can contain you? If the highest heavens can't contain you, Surely this little temple cannot contain you, but you put your name here and you recognize that the temple, the tabernacle of the Lord was the place that bore the name, the presence, the life of God. And if you run that thread all the way through, then Paul says, <clears throat> uh, do you not know That your body is a sanctuary, a temple, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? In other words, do you realize that your life now is to be the place where God's name dwells? In fact, you see that that was God's plan all along. As you go back into Genesis chapter 1, as God was making man, he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In other words... Do you know what you're supposed to be? You are an image bearer. That that you are not to turn the attention. You're not just to bear your name. Rather, you are an image bearer so that when the world sees you, they actually don't see you. They see him. That, That you are merely a physical dwelling place for the living God. So that when the earth sees your life, They're not awestruck at you or your abilities or your wisdom or your success or your talent or your anything. Rather, they are awestruck by the reality of the living God who lives inside of your life. And wouldn't it be amazing to realize that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I now have a privilege to bear his name. I am called a Christian. So think about this. When we bear the name of our God and are called Christians we declare with our lives and our lips what our God is like. We become image bearers of the living God to our world. In other words, when the world looks at your life, do you realize that they should know instantly what our God is like? Because you bear his name, not just a name. You bear his life. You bear his character. You bear his nature. Does that make sense? I'll come back to that in just a second. Let me give you one other passage about this idea of just bearing his name. And it's Proverbs. I read this last time, but Proverbs 18 verse 10. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is set securely on high. What would happen if we were hidden in the name of God? What if we began to realize that we actually have the ability to find our refuge, our strength in his name? And that, yes, we bear his name, but we're also hidden in his name. So there's this idea of bearing his name. But let me tie with it this idea of not emptying his name of its content. Uh, When you go back in the Old Testament and you look at the Ten Commandments, you have to ask the question, why did God give his people the Ten Commandments? And the answer I often get is, well... Uh, God really wanted to show what it looks like to to live well in community. In other words, if 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 you're running around and lying, that doesn't bode well for a good community. Uh, If you're murdering people, that doesn't help the community, right? But do you realize that's actually not why God gave the Ten Commandments? That when you look at the moral law, it's a revelation of the character of God himself. That God says, okay, my people, you represent me. You bear my name. Which means you are going to reflect me. And God says, I'm not a liar. So guess what you can't do? You can't lie. Because the moment you lie, what you're declaring to the world around you is that your God, whose name you bear, is a liar. And God says, I'm I'm not a liar. So you can't lie. God says, I'm not a murderer. So you can't murder. I don't covet. So you can't covet. Why? Because we're image bearers. And if we are bearing the name of our God and we are reflecting the reality of our precious Savior, do you realize that when the world looks at your life, they will see what God is like? And they will determine whether or not they want your Jesus based on how you live. So if you lie all the time, do you know what that actually says about Jesus? That he's a liar. If you steal all the time, if you, if you murder, if you walk in, in jealousy and pride and lust, do you, do you know what that actually declares to our God? It is declaring to our world, he's just like that. Why? Because we bear his name. So as you come back into Exodus chapter 20 then, and God begins to list the commandments, I just want to read the first seven verses. And this is what God gave Moses. It says that God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but oh, showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Do you realize that one of the commands of God is don't mess with the name? Don't take it in vain. Now, as I was growing up in Sunday school, what I was told what that meant was, don't swear. Yeah, don't take it in vain. So I, I should not take and abuse the name of our Lord. Does that make sense? Uh, I was playing disc golf once uh, with some, uh, some teenagers, and Dan McConaughey happened to be there. And it was interesting, I, I had this throw, and it was horrible, and I was like, Nathan Johnson, come on, buddy. And Dan goes, do <clears throat> you realize what you're doing? is taking your own name in vain. And I'm actually emptying, I'm actually degrading, I'm actually rolling it in the mud. Why? Well, I'm not gonna take God's name in vain, mercy. And I didn't even recognize I was doing it, but I was like, oh, Nathan, come on. I began to realize, you know what? I I was doing that. And so all growing up, I was told, hey, don't swear. So don't take God's name in vain. Don't have the replacements you know, like, cause you know, okay, we won't say God's name in vain, but we'll say darn or gosh, or, you know, like the replacement ones, which makes us feel better because we're, we're still expressing our frustration, but not taking his name in vain. Do you realize that's not what he's talking about here? Okay. Let me, let me rephrase. You should not swear and take God's name in vain. That's, that's still, that's still included. But when it says taking his name in vain, it is far beyond swearing, folks, because we're bearing a name. It's lifestyle stuff. This is far more than just what comes out of your lips. The word vain, it actually just means making something empty without meaning, making something worthless or false or fake. In other words, if I take his name in vain, then I'm emptying his name of all of truth. Does that make sense? And you realize, yes, you can do that with your language. But folks, if I don't live as a Christian, do you know what I'm doing? I'm taking his name in vain because I bear his name. And my life then is a reflection to my world of what my God is like, which means when I don't live like my God and when I live in pride and sin and selfishness, when I turn inward with my life, do you recognize that I'm actually emptying his name of all of its truth? That if I'm actually going to bear his name well, I'm going to declare to my world what he's like, which is why I'm to be conformed to his image, which is why I am to be sanctified and consecrated, which is why I'm to grow in Christ's likeness. Now, I recognize none of us do this perfectly. I get that. But folks, that's why we need him. Him. That's why we need his sanctification. That's why we need his his movement and his his life in our lives. Why? To remove the sin and the junk so that we become image bearers that actually reflect the reality of of our precious Savior. And you realize that if I don't live as he is calling me to live, if I don't live according to his life, if I don't live according to his heart and his nature, when I live in sin and selfishness, I am taking his name in vain. I may not be doing that with my lips, but I'm doing that with my life. Why? I am a bearer of his name. I really like this quote. Uh, it's a little bit longer, but let me just read this. This is Carmen Joy Imes again from that book, Bearing God's Name. Listen to what she says about just these beginning commandments. She says, We begin with the weightiest commands, the ones that set the stage for all the others. Stated positively, they say number one, worship only Yahweh. Number two, Represent him well. Together, they echo Yahweh's declaration to the descendants of Jacob in Egypt, repeated so often through the Old Testament, especially by the prophets. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Exodus 6, verse 7. Jeremiah and Ezekiel repeat this formulaic statement so frequently that it becomes shorthand for covenant renewal. I am yours. You are mine. Unlike the gods of other nations, Yahweh could not be represented by a carved image. Chapter 20, verse 4 of Exodus. Instead, he was to be represented by the people to whom he had revealed his name. Verse 7. Since he had claimed them as his own, their words and actions were to reflect his lordship. The first two commands of the covenant formula express... Sorry. The first two commands and the covenant formula they express indicate how Israel should fulfill its vocation obligations successfully. They were to worship him. Here's the conclusion. They were to worship him exclusively in order to demonstrate his greatness. If they worshiped other gods, his glory would be diminished. They were to be all in, all his. Yahweh is the only God worthy of worship. Israel must see itself as belonging to him and representing him to the world. To bear his name in vain would be to enter into this covenant relationship with him, but to live no differently than the surrounding pagans. Keeping the command not to bear Yahweh's name in vain changes everything about how we live. Do you realize that if you you actually realized that we are image bearers, that we bear the name of our God, it would actually change everything, wouldn't it? Because I would never want to empty his name of value. I would never want to profane his name. I would never want to smear his reputation in the mud. And if the world is looking at my life to see what my God is like, I want to represent him well. I wanna get out of the way so that he can be seen. But that means I'm gonna have to live differently, probably than how I'm living, so that I don't take his name in vain. Which brings us to the third thought. Well, then how shall we live? Do you realize that you are to hallow his name? Uh, The disciples came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? We've seen your intimacy with the Father. Could, Could you teach us how to pray? And Jesus, in Matthew 6, verse 9, says this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Now, we, we have said and quoted and prayed that so many times, I don't know if we even know what it means. If someone came up to you and says, what does it mean to hallow his name? You'd have to probably pause for a second and be like, it's something really good. It's powerful. <laughs> the, the word hallow means to consecrate or to make holy or to treat as holy Or maybe a better way of saying it, it's to revere. In other words, do you realize that God is holy? And because he is holy, his name, therefore, is holy. Because a name is not just a name. A name is representative of the person, right? It represents character and nature. And because God's character and nature is holy, do you realize his name is holy? And therefore, we are to keep it holy, we are to revere it. We are to guard it. We are to protect it. We are to make sure it stays holy. Uh, in Psalm 30 verse 4, oh, again, God's name is holy and therefore his name is holy. And by the way, we are to live accordingly. So just listen to a couple of these verses. Psalm 30 verse 4, sing praise to Yahweh, you his holy ones, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holy name. He has a holy name. Why? Because he's a holy God. Or Psalm 97, verse 12. Be glad in Yahweh, you righteous ones, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holy name. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 111, verse 9. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and fearsome is his name. So here's what... Carmen Jo I'm says about this. She says, Jesus's prayer, hallowed be your name, is not just wishful thinking as though Jesus is hoping that Yahweh is doing well up there. His prayer implies a personal commitment to honoring that name through a life of faithful obedience. He fulfills Israel's vocation to, bear's, to bear Yahweh's name with honor. For Jesus, calling on God's name is not enough the key disposition of one one who truly belongs to God is a commitment to action, to doing his will rather than one's own. The name of God is not a charm to be used at will. It is not a magic amulet to guarantee protection. Those who fail to carry out God's will bear his name in vain. In other words, do you realize that to honor his name actually means to bear his name with honor? To actually showcase it without taint or spot. In other words, rather than emptying it of value and living how you want to live and having your life and your preferences and your sin and your what would happen if our lives were fully given over to Jesus Christ and we just says, Lord, showcase yourself through my life, and I will walk in obedience. I will walk in a predecided yes position. Lord, I I will surrender. I I want to show you to my world. But that means, Lord, you're going to have to get rid of all the stuff that looks like me. And I'm still here, folks. But do you realize all that selfishness, all that self-propensity, all of that fleshly nature that I have craved and held on to for all these years, I cannot reflect him if I'm holding on to all that stuff. If I hold on to my sin, if I hold on to my selfishness, All I do is take his name in vain. But if I'm going to hallow his name, I will bear his name with honor. I will bear his name with joy. I will bear his name with purity. I will bear his name with holiness. Which is why we need to be made holy, folks. And when God says, I am holy, therefore, you need to be holy. Do you realize we need his sanctification we need that conformity to the image of christ we need to grow in christ's likeness why because our world this generation desperately desperately needs to see a clear picture of our precious savior without mar spot or wrinkle they need to see him in and through our lives so can i ask us how how are you bearing his name I think if we were all to be honest, we would have to conclude uh, we're not doing well. That, that I actually don't represent him as I should. That actually more often than not, um, I, I turn to my own sin and my own propensities and selfishness and self-centeredness and, rather than bearing his name. In fact, more often than not, I have actually broken the, the command and I've taken his name in vain. Because I have not lived his name well. Can I tell you there's good news? One of my favorite verses since I was a teenager has been Ezekiel 36, verse 23. And I don't know why I loved it so much in my early years, but it's just it's grown and just it's been so profound in my mind. I just want you to listen to what God says through the prophet Ezekiel. He says in Ezekiel 36, verse 23. God says, I will prove the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Do you hear what God is saying? God says, The nations have profaned my name. In fact, You, O Israel, the people of God, have profaned my name. You've taken my name in vain. You've emptied it of all its value. You've lived in your sin and selfishness and rebellion. In other words, we in and of ourselves cannot bear his name as we ought to. So what does God say in the passage? He goes, I'll do it. I will do it. See, you, you can't bear the name properly. All you have done is profane the name. So God says, do you know what I'm going to do? I will prove the holiness of my great name through you. And all the nations will know that I am God when they see me proving my holiness through you. Do you realize he's talking about being an image bearer? He says, you are to bear my name and all you've ever done is profaned it. All you've done is mocked it. All you've done is rebelled against it. All you've done is emptied it of its value. You've taken my name in vain and profaned it and just smeared it in the mud, just like the culture has. But what I'm going to do, I am your God. And because you are my people, I will prove the holiness of my name in and through you. And when I hallow my name through you, then all the nations will know that I am God because they will see me in you. Isn't that beautiful? And if you say, well, Nathan, I, I can't do this. You're right. Nathan, Nathan, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to hallow his name properly. You're right. You can't, but he can. So the only option I have to hallow his name properly and not empty of its value and take it in vain, I've got to get tight with Him, folks. And do you realize I get to bear his name, which is more than just a name, I bear his life. Which means when my life, which is unrighteous, when my life, which is hopeless, when my life is full of sin and rebellion, encounters the living God who is righteous and holy and true and pure, do you realize that that will change everything in my life? And he will sanctify his name through me. That I, I, in in the midst of my unholiness, he will make me holy when I embrace him. In the midst of my unrighteousness, I will become righteous when I embrace him. When I who have profaned his name I can hallow his name when the one whose name I bear invades my life. Folks, that's phenomenal. Do you realize you have everything you need to bear his life and his name? Well, we already read second Peter, but you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. Let me give you one other passage. I love this verse too. In second Corinthians nine, eight, listen, listen to what Paul says. God is able you're hearing this? God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you hear that? I'll read it again. God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything... At every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you realize you have everything? Because you have all of his grace available to you. And he is able to make every grace abound to you. Why? So that you actually have an abundance for what you were called to. For every good deed. So that as you go and you bear the name of our God, do you realize you have been given everything that you need for life and godliness? You've been given everything you need in his grace, in his power, in his supply, in his life, which is his name, to bear his name. Do you know how incredible of a thought that is? So you can't do this, but he can do this. in And through you, Will you live by his grace? Will you walk in obedience? Would you carry his name well? Listen to what Paul says in Colossians uh, Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you realize that everything, everything, do you want the word everything? Everything. Whatever you do, everything you do, do it all in his name. Would you, would you live by the word? Would you, would you live by his life? Would you live by the reality of his name that lives inside of you? And just as a closing thought, can I, can I remember or remind you that his name is exalted. Uh, Isaiah 12, verse 4 says this, And in that day you will say, Give thanks to Yahweh. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. You need to remember that his name is high and lifted up. That he has a name far above all other names. And you have the privilege of all privileges in the universe to be the one that bears his name. Well, I mentioned this at the very beginning, but this series has been incredibly profitable and just a delight and a joy in my life. I loved getting to know God better through his names. And if you'd like to walk through that series with me, there are 28 studies looking at the variety of names of God, And I'll put a link for that in the show notes. You can find all of that and more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash 299 for episode 299. Now, I'm so excited. Next time is our 300th episode. This has been such a fun delight walking with you as we pursue Jesus Christ together. So until then, know I'm cheering you on. I'm praying for you as we continue to build our lives around Jesus Christ.